Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of horror with a discussion about vampires. And I am very excited about this episode because, like I mentioned on our Slashers episode, this and the Slashers and Paranormal, too, but are the three that I was looking forward to the most. So I'm really excited to talk about this. I've loved the vampire genre since I was a little kid. Um, I even studied about people who do like there's a whole church of the vampire church and all this stuff so uh yeah so it's it's always fascinated me the whole mythology everything around it so i'm very excited to talk about this okay so before we get into vampires just a couple of housekeeping notes um we are accepting listener support right now for as little as 99 cents a month to 9.99 a month you can click the link in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click listener support and of course, uh, 50% of what we see from that and also the one ad that we're making money on, the ad that's all about voting, we are not making money on. That is just um, basically a, a charity ad that those organizations are doing with Anchor. Um, but 50% of what we see will be going to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. Um, I'm thinking... On our final horror episode, I will announce the organization that will be getting the money. It'll basically be starting at the end of November. So they'll get whatever we collect from now until the end of November. If you have any organization, any GoFundMe, anything that you feel isn't getting a lot of attention, you want us to acknowledge, you want us to donate whatever we can to them or just get the word out, please feel free to contact us via our social media, you know, our Facebook page, Twitter. You can even email us and all that information is in our show notes and I'll also be uh, announcing that at the end of the episode. Okay, so before we talk about vampires, I'm going to have our panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture they're excited about right now. Start with you, Sarah. Um, well, in addition to being slightly obsessed with uh, Shit's Creek right now, it took me a little while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe five episodes into season six. Um, I am very excited about season two of the Mandalorian because Star Wars is my, my first love, my first fandom, you know, I remember playing with our little Star Wars figures with my brother. Oh God, I was probably, you know, five, six years old. So that is very, uh, nostalgic to me. And I and the Mandalorian, the first episode or first season was so well done. And I'm really looking forward to the second season. Awesome. I have yet to watch a single episode of it, I will say. And I, I don't have Disney Plus. 
I I, only, I had it twice for a couple of things. Like I got it for Hamilton and then got rid of it. Yeah. And then I got it when it first came out and got rid of it after the trial. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's weird because a lot of the stuff on there isn't really my thing. But yeah. but but I've heard nothing but good things about The Mandalorian. So maybe someday I'll have to check it out. And I'm so glad that you're into Schitt's Creek because oh Schitt's Creek is one of the best shows ever. Oh, why did it take so long for me to watch? <laughs> Yeah, I'm like obsessed now. I, I think I've watched uh I think I've watched five seasons in like the past two weeks <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. To the point where my husband's like, You're really far ahead of me. I'm like, Yeah, I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're gonna have to get up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really easy to do. I'm kind of obsessed <laughs> at the moment. Um, so yeah, I mean I, I watched the episode today where um uh, uh, Patrick proposed and I was like <laughs> I was just in tears it was so sweet and I'll, okay I'm going to because I could just gush yeah. about it for like yeah. why why wasn't I watching this for the weekend but anyway <laughs> yeah, carry on <laughs> and um, Tiffany hi again thanks for having me on Aaron uh, I actually watched all four of the uh, Blumhouse movies that were showing on Prime. Uh, it was Evil Eye, Nocturnal, uh, what was the other one? The Lie, and Black Box. And some of them were really were really well done. I especially liked The Lie. That was a that was a good one. There was a good twist at the end of that one. And um, an Evil Eye was was really excellent. Uh, as well, I'm also Sarah looking forward to season two of The Mandalorian. Uh, you've got to check that out, Aaron, because it was so so good in the first season. Uh, and um, Pedro Pascal is just uh, even when you can't see his face, <laughs> even when you can't see his face, you still he still gives you just just so much panache and so much uh, charm when he's playing this very this character that's extremely. I don't want to call him one note, but he's very focused on one goal. And uh, it's just, it's exciting. I'm ready for the, I'm ready for season two to come. Oh I God, think we have like so 11 fantastic. days. <laughs> he is. Yes. He's, he's excellent. He really is. So I'm guessing my whole timeline is going to be all about that. <laughs> about 10 days. No, not I'm... at all. No, 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 no. I, I'm not obsessed at all. <laughs> well, just everyone I know is so into it. I know. I really do need to watch it. I know. I know. I know. It's something I really, really have to do. <laughs> it's on It's on that list. And I forgot all about the Blumhouse ones that were on um, Amazon Prime. I cannot believe I forgot about them until um, someone else had mentioned them. So I definitely have to watch, have to watch those. Yeah. So, and you said, um, which ones did you say were the, was it the lie? Which I, I really liked the lie and I really liked evil. Eye. um, evil. Eye has one of my favorite actors, um, Sarita, Ch uh, darn it. Chadari. <laughs> I know I just butchered her last name so badly. Um, but she's been in so many things and I, I really like her in pretty much everything she does. Uh, and also it's got um, Sunita, gosh, what's her last name? Mani, the one who um, who played Matahari in um, Glow. 
she's the uh yeah so she's the um the the lead in in evil eyes so really really great premise uh so i think if you're gonna watch one watch that one first and then watch the lie second well and and the lie i'm glad to hear that that's good because um as i mentioned on our favorites episode i'm a huge peter sarsgaard fan and i know he's in that one so (laughs) that's another thing that makes me want to want to watch that one so yeah. yeah he is um something else in, in <laughs> <the lie. laughs> maybe, tell maybe us I'll how you really feel <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you said that you said something else something <laughs> well I'll say like, like um and Muriel Ennis plays the mom mm-hmm. in the lie and she you know she's really good as well um but them as the parents and that it are they are uh they're on another level and they're <laughs> on another level because their daughter is a piece of work <laughs> already <laughs> yeah i'm excited for both and i'm still so bummed as i'm sure you are too tiffany that glow was that we don't get that final season of glow oh, i just can't so so devastating that we don't get that final season of Glow I because I really feel like that last, like that season, um, that would have been the fourth season, right? Yeah. And yeah. I really feel like that would have put just a great bow on it. Yeah. And it would, um, it would just tie everything together, tie everything up uh, because it was going in a different direction mm-hmm. uh, at the finale of season three. And I like what, I mean, Mark Marin said, give them a two hour movie to to really you, you know tie it all up and put a nice bow on it so i'm in agreement let's give us a two-hour movie and let us see how it all unfolds oh and i yeah. love i mean I, I think i'm only two seasons in on that one i know we're not on this topic but i loved his character yeah mark maron's character yes mm-hmm. yeah so, and i really so did every, everybody in that show is really good it's just yeah, I I my husband started watching it the one day, and I'm like, what what are you watching? And then I just could not stop watching. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what I'm into today into this is Aaron, by the way. What I'm into is I started watching the show Evil, <gasps> which was on CBS, and oh yay, somebody yes. else is watching it. <laughs> <laughs> And Michael Emerson just plays such a good, creepy character. Oh, my God. So good. And what I find so interesting about it and kind of spoilery, I guess, is the fact that at least so far, I haven't finished the first season. Every case they're investigating, it turns out there's an actual logical explanation for it. And I think that's so interesting. Um, I really think the George character is probably real. Nobody spoil me on that, but I'm sh- I have a feeling that's probably real. And whatever's happening to um, the daughters after they played that virtual reality game, mm-hmm. I-, I think there's something else that's, uh, but don't spoil me. Um, but yeah, but I just, oh my gosh, I just really love that show. I think it's really well done. The first episode, I was kind of like, okay, this is okay. And then it just instantly just grabbed me, um, the second episode. And then it just gets kind of creepier and creepier, but it also has some light moments. And the cast is so, so great. Um, I love everybody in it. Um, and and it's so fun to see Asif Monvi 
playing a more serious role, you know, because I'm so used to seeing him on the Daily Show. <laughs> so it's so interesting to watch him playing this. Oh my God, love him guy. so much. Yeah, everybody. He's so, so great. He's yeah. so great. Oh my goodness. I love him in this. He really is great. And I loved, I just watched the episode last night where he was, um, it was the Halloween episode. I think it was a Halloween or maybe it, where he was with the fake ghost hunters. And he, yes. And they went to this trip. That's a great episode. <laughs> it really was. That was so good. <laughs> and then, of course, Luke Cage. So. Oh, yeah. Mike, Mike Coulter. He's just, oh, my God. Woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might, he's, might, he's might need a shower now. Gorgeous. And he's really good. And it's really interesting. You know, it's, it's such an interesting character struggling so much with his own faith and, and, and who he is. And then it, his, his chemistry with, um, I'm sure I'm butchering this, Katja Herpers. <laughs> yeah. The main, the main woman. Kirsten. Kirsten. Kirsten? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm talking yeah. about the act. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They but do they're, have great chemistry. Yeah. yeah. They have really good chemistry, but yeah. So I'm, Amazing. I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm excited to see where it goes. So that's what that's what I'm into. Okay, so let's get into vampires. So we're going to start out first with just a fun little question. Um, and before I ask everybody, I did a poll on Twitter and Facebook asking what everybody's favorite vampire movie was. And the choices I had on there were um, Interview with the Vampire, The Lost Boys, Blade, and the original Fright Night. And The Last Boys won both of them, hands down. It got the most votes. Um, I believe it was Fright Night that came in second. Um, and then Interview with Vampire Blade did not get a single vote, <laughs> which kind of surprised me. But it didn't surprise me that The Last Boys won. That didn't surprise me at all. So I'm just going to ask the panel to give me just maybe your top three or top five vampire movies, Sarah. Um, oh, definitely Lost Boys, um, because that is memory of my childhood and had my huge crush on Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. It was all about the two Corys when I was 12. Um, you know, um, Fright Night, I've actually never seen. So sorry. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm really terrible. Um... You know, of, of the ones you posted, Interview with a Vampire, I loved, absolutely loved the books. Um, read all of them. And I had issues with Tom Cruise's Lestat. Although I, I, I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, uh, uh, the rest of the cast I was fine with. I just, I do not like Tom Cruise. Um, so interview with a vampire is, is up there or, um, I mean, I enjoyed it. So it's, it's up there. Um, definitely lost boys. Um, oh God. Uh, top five. Um, uh, or top three. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I'm trying to remember. I'm having a brain fart. Um, I can come back to you too. Yes, please come back to me. Okay. Because I'm now having what we do in the shadows is hilarious. That's always a good one. Tiffany. I I'm actually going to um <laughs> respectfully disagree with 
Sarah on Interview with a Vampire because I think Tom Cruise is so good in it. I actually love his Lestat. <laughs> if anything, I um, I feel like another actor probably could have done more with uh, with Louis mm. in it. And I like Brad Pitt. I like Brad Pitt a lot. I think he's a, a very talented actor, but I feel like somebody else could have taken Louis to the next level in it. But overall, I do love okay. Interview with the Vampire. Uh, so that's definitely my top three. Um, for like really kind of very meta, uh, over the top vampiric action, uh, I love From Dust Till Dawn. Oh my <laughs> God! It's yes, so good. <laughs> it's so yes. over the top, and George Clooney is having such a good time in that movie, which I love. <laughs> oh my God! He's having so, such an it, awesome time in it. So incredibly um, cheesy, but. It, so fun it really is it's so cheesy but but so much fun and I uh, forgot about that one and another good one I think that didn't get enough um, attention is 30 days of night I like that I watch that one too I like it that one is like pure not only is it a vampire movie but it's pure horror and suspense I mean just the idea of being in a town that has 24 hours pretty much of darkness. So that's messing with you on one level. And then the freezing cold on another level, the isolation on the third level, and then, okay, blood sucking uh, demons from hell. <laughs> that's the fourth issue. <laughs> and so, um, and you know, Josh Hartman was really good in that. He's really, really good. Uh, in that movie, and I don't like him in a ton of different things, but I thought he was really excellent in that. Um, besides that, probably like I like Underworld, the first one. Uh, I, I do like the first Underworld. Um, yes, that was the other one I was thinking of. I thought uh, Kate Beckinsale was really good in that. She's good in the entire series, but that first one is really, really captivating. I think and, so. And Michael Sheen. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Michael Shane too. Definitely, you can't go wrong with Michael Shane. <laughs> the chemistry was was on another level with that. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think those are probably like my top, my top four. I guess like on a, on a probably outside of that would be like Vampire in Brooklyn. You know, Eddie Murphy's movie. That one's a lot of fun. Watch that, yeah. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun too. Like that's got a lot of comedic um, aspects to it. So uh, those that probably rounds out my top five. That's awesome. And I was, <laughs> I was just cheering and cheering almost everything you were saying, Tiffany. Because I'm like <laughs> Tiffany and I, we 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 have very similar tastes. We really do. Um, yes. <laughs> and I totally agree about Tom Cruise. I thought once Lestat was gone, that movie fell flat for me. Um, yeah, it just went way downhill. And I'm I'm very mixed on Brad Pitt because to me, sometimes Brad Pitt is not completely all the way in the character. And he was just really boring. He was just such a snooze. Like in the very end, the way Lestat reacts to it <laughs> <even> <laughs> the tape is yeah. so true. And I thought, you know, Tom Cruise, I think Tom Cruise in real life is he's in that he's in a cult and I don't necessarily like him in real life, but I think he's actually a really, really talented actor. 
Um, and I thought he was so, so good in that. And I know Anne Rice was also very hesitant, but she has said that she really liked his portrayal as well. Um, yeah, and I, I thought Christian Slater was was good in it. You know, he had to step into River Phoenix's shoes in that movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I thought he was yeah. really good too. So I, I do like that one. I'm actually not the biggest fan of the book, um, I will say. Although I think it's a very interesting story how the book came about, um, and we can maybe get into that. But yeah, but I liked that one. I love The Lost Boys. I used to have the poster hanging up above my bed. So. <laughs> That's how much, and I and I love Jason Patrick. I've been a huge Jason Patrick fan for a long time. Um, I liked Corey Haim. I wasn't very much of a Corey Feldman girl. I was more of a Corey Haim girl. And I also just love Kiefer Sutherland. So that one is a lot of fun. We're definitely going to be talking about that when we talk about queer coding in a bit. Um, And I love 30 Days of Night, too. I think that is one of the best um, vampire movies in the past 20 years or so. And it is. It's very terrifying. It's very scary. Because talk about the perfect location for a vampire movie. And it's amazing to me that I don't think before that there was ever a vampire movie set in that location so that's that makes it just all the more scary I mean it's just yeah and and I'm a Josh Hartnett fan I've always liked him so I like that one a lot too um and I really love the original Fright Night and I actually think the Fright Night that uh came out a few years ago with Colin Farrell I actually think that one is pretty good too um and Anton Yelkin um and I saw that one in the 3D thing which was kind of silly but I did but I like the film overall I thought that one was pretty good um and I like um shoot the name just escaped me so maybe I'll come back to it here but um I love Blade. I love the first Blade. I do too. I think the whole scene, um, the whole nightclub scene with the blood dripping down, dripping, you know, from um, overhead and dripping on them and the vampires just being soaked in the blood was just such a frightening and horrific and amazing image to look at. So I just, I really liked the first Blade a lot too. And I actually have not seen the Underworld movies. I know. I know. I don't know why I haven't seen them, honestly, because I love the people that are in them. I just haven't. I don't know why. And I love Kate Beckinsale too. I think, I think she's a very underrated actress actually. So yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I just, watched uh vampires versus brooklyn on netflix and it it wouldn't necessarily be my top five but i just thought that was such a good film um you saw it right tiffany i did it was so cute i thought it was really really cute the little the the kids you know the teenagers they were just so um i like i like movies where kids are being kids and I felt like they really, really embraced that. And their their kids, especially the little mayor, uh, their kids trying to save their neighborhood. And I really like how they embrace that. They're not trying to act grown. They're not trying to act uh, doing things that that kids wouldn't be doing. So I I really think that the that the writers really interwove that kind of. Um, mindset and their personality into the movie so i think it's a great I, I think it's just a lot of fun it really is and it's a great example of how gentrification harms you know more so than than helps anything 
So it's a, it's a, it's a scathing indictment on gentrification, um, especially, you know, I mean, the Bronx is, um, is rife with it at this point, whereas before the Bronx was known as the, I mean, it's the outer borough, you know, it's, um, it's one of those ones that was highly undesirable uh, even like 15 years ago. And now you've got artisanal pickle shops. <laughs> you know so yep <laughs> it's uh so it's it, i grew it, up in new jersey i get it yeah. yeah exactly exactly so it's um it's really really a cute movie so i definitely say you know folks have, if folks like vampire movies that they should definitely take a look and that uh, was on netflix yeah, yeah it's on netflix yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's I, that's what i thought was so clever about it too was having the vampires the blood-sucking vampires, you know, be people that are coming in and gentrifying an area. And especially, you know, how they keep saying, well, nobody will miss you. Nobody will miss any of the people here. And it was it's just a very, very interesting um, allegory that I just, I thought that was so clever to use because it really is true, made sense. I know that a lot of areas here in Colorado have been um, gentrified and it keeps happening a lot here right now. Um, especially like five points and a few other areas here in Colorado. So, yeah, so I just thought that was, yeah, I just thought it was so clever. So well done. The kids were so sweet and clever and they were really good actors as well. Um, and so I really, I love when they're imitating, this isn't really too much of a spoiler, but when they're imitating Blade in the video, they find, it's just, it's just so clever and funny and very much like you said, Tiffany, very real and true to what, to who kids are and how kids behave and, you know, how kids would behave in that kind of <laughs> situation when they know there are vampires out there. But yeah, this, yeah, I really liked that one a lot. Another so. one that's kind of similar to that is uh, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. I don't know. Oh, if you, I didn't it's see that it's completely cheesy. It's so cheesy, but the premise behind it is the slave owners in the South are actually vampires. And the reason they want to keep slavery is because they're using them as food. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's an interesting, not, not so much gentrification, but um, it, it's sort of an interesting twist to it. Um, and it's the same author that did um, uh, what Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh yeah, and Susie on our zombie episode yeah. recommended that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it was it was sort of an interesting twist on the uh, the vampire mythology or, or lore or whatever. Um, that that was the reason that the the, the South wanted to keep slavery in. Uh, which is horrible absolutely horrible um but you know along the lines of the the same thing with the the gentrification yeah huh yeah i haven't seen i haven't seen that one and i didn't read the book either but i I highly recommend the book okay the book is excellent like his whole that the entire series because he did seth graham smith did an entire series of those but Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and um, and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies are my favorite out of the series that he did. I didn't care for the movie because I read the book first, and I read both books first, and then when I saw both movies, I'm like, eh, 
it's not working for me. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> definitely give the books if you if you like to read. Definitely give the books a, a shot because they're a lot of fun. Yeah, I I might have to do that. Yes. Okay, well, let's get into, I think vampires, really the biggest thing they represent is sexuality and sex, um, fear of sex, wanting sex, um, letting go, embracing your sexuality, embracing, I mean, anytime you see a vampire drink blood from someone, um, especially if they are changing someone to a vampire, there's a lot of sexuality in that. Um, and even in the person who is getting drained, you see a lot of like hypnosis, that kind of stuff. Um, so I want to get into that and I want to briefly touch on queer, not briefly, but cause a big part of it is queer coding. A lot of characters in vampire and vampire movies and books are queer coded. There's also, um, a trope of, um, the lesbian vampire, um, which actually was a trope that would appear in some exploitation films as well. Um, and But you can also see it in a lot of vampire films. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit too. But just to just go to, just, excuse me, just to refresh everyone's memory, if, if you're not familiar with what queer coding exactly is or the definition, um, it's the subtextual portrayal of a queer character in media whose identity is not explicitly confirmed with canon. So this concept refers to a character that encapsulates what might be considered quote-unquote queer traits that are recognizable to the audience but are never labeled or claimed by the content creator. Um, So, you know, and then you have what kind of branched off from that was, of course, queer baiting. Um, which is similar to queer coding, although some people think queer coding is a little bit less harmful than queer baiting. Um, but definitely vampire movies have done this a lot. Um, speaking of Interview with a Vampire, very, very, very much an Interview with a Vampire. Um, the whole part with Lestat turning Louise is very, very sexual. Um, you cannot tell me that Lestat is not a bi a bisexual man. You cannot tell me the same with Luis. You cannot. I mean, it's just it's all very, 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 very sexual. And I believe, even if I'm remembering correctly, in the novels, I think it's even confirmed in the novels. Um, yeah, Anne Rice has confirmed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So definitely in that. Um, and then I'll just briefly go over some others that were sort of sort of talked about, and then we're going to get into AIDS in a little bit too, because it very much came about in that but you also have also with um the lost boys that also has some queer coding in there um with jason patrick's character and Kiefer sutherland's character definitely mm-hmm. um you know and i'm reading an article and it could even uh, be construed as a cautionary warning um a group of boys who only want to play at night are coming for your sons so it's the gay panic but what's interesting about yeah but what's in the 80s yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially around um, AIDS was yeah. when a lot of that really happened. Even Fright Night has been said to um, be dealing with that, too, with a cautionary tale um, because you've got the male vampire next door. Although I think it all, that also plays into female sexuality, which I'll get into in a little bit with that one, too. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit about queer coding in vampire movies um, and whether it's explicit or maybe even harmful portrayals or good ones. Um, Tiffany, what are your thoughts on that? And even in um, television shows, too, because like True Blood and stuff. 
it's it's one of those things where some really lean into it some films some television shows really lean into the idea of of a character being quote unquote queer um without that 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 definitive explanation of it by the content creators uh and then sometimes it's just not even not even present so like you said Aaron the the biggest is probably Lestat definitely um definitely a queer character for sure that scene when he turns Louis is so homoerotic you know when he lifts him up into the air it's you know there's the embrace and then I don't know if you all have ever heard uh in the um the more like medieval French (laughs) the orgasm was known as the little death that's what it was called it was called a little death so when a vampire drains you, I mean, that's definitely a little death. And then they bring you back as an undead person. So I can see the parallel between that. Um, so, yes, interview with the vampire, definitely, for sure. <laughs> definitely that character and Louis are queer coded. Um, other, you know, Lost Boys, I know Aaron mentioned, yes, Definitely that, although I haven't watched it in so long, I can barely remember the characters in that. So I can't speak to it as as well as my fellow panelists. Um, But other than that, like, I can see the parallels between what we would call 18th and 19th century, quote unquote, dandies, um, men who were very much into dress, very much into um, hair, uh, sometimes makeup as well. Uh, they wore heeled shoes. Uh, they always they were they were perfumed to the hilt. So I could see how a vampire who was queer could be linked to one of those characters in another book or one of the or real life characters I should say that were dandies. You could see the parallels between those. Um, Television wise, I don't know. Um, it's a little less, I think, uh, in True Blood, um, gosh, what was her name? Pam. (laughs) Yes, Pam. Thank you. Yes, yes. So Pam. Oh, definitely Pam. Yeah, definitely Pam. That was overt. That was in your face. We knew. Yeah. Yeah. We knew she was probably more so, I mean, she's definitely bi, but I almost felt like she was more so of a, um, uh, that she had a more of a kinship to to women characters and women vampires in the show than she oh, did definitely, with yeah. else. Um, so, but besides that, I can't really think of any other television shows where it was as overt as it is in film. And to me, it seems like no. it's, it's more prevalent in film than it is on TV. No, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, thinking back to... You know, I mean, uh, going back to like Buffy, I don't remember that, you know, uh, uh, being a thing. Um, True Blood, definitely. Um, and and absolutely with Pam. Um, I, I think she, like you said, she leaned more towards women, but she did not object to men. <laughs> um, and even Eric. Um who ends up with, uh, oh, God, I can't think of his name. The one that was uh, the the king of Louisiana. 
I can't think of his name, but who, who was his partner, um, ends up with him. Um, you know, even Bill, um, you know, definitely more so that one. Um, but you know, it, it, I'm still trying to think of other vampire mainstream TV shows other than Buffy. Um, I know there was Mo was it Moonlight? I think was one. I think there was also um well I've never watched the Vampire Diaries, but that's a that's oh, a big yeah. one. But I've never watched the Vampire Diaries. Yeah, I never watched that either. <laughs> Saw them at a a few years ago, but that was about it. I never watched it. Um and and Moonlight, I vaguely remember it. It wasn't on too many seasons. But that was one uh, my mother actually recommended. Like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and uh, I think it's now on Netflix or Amazon or whatever, you know, some streaming service or whatever. Um, but yeah, even in the movie, uh, like you said, in movies, especially, um, you know, I don't remember that much of Lost Boys. That's one that we keep saying, oh, we need the kids to see this because they're now 15 and 17 and think they would enjoy it. Um, but it's been quite some time since I've seen it. Um, but interview with a vampire. Yes. I mean, I just, I remember a little bit more from the books than I do the movies. And that was definitely a, uh, a, a theme um, within the books. From what yeah, I well, and, Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, well, I th and I think the thing about vampire movies and stories in general is I think underlying everything is this freedom, this sexual freedom, yes. uh, this freedom to be who whoever you want to be and to be with whoever you want to be with. Um, it, it could be even argued that a lot of vampires are pan, so they would be, so vampires just don't, it's just whoever they, you want to be with, you will be with, and you embrace that and embrace, um, the sexuality. And, yeah. and whenever you see in a vampire movie, whenever you see someone being drained of their blood, being changed, anything, their face looks orgasmic. That's why I think yes. that's so interesting. That fact you sh shared Tiffany, because their face, faces do look very orgasmic. Like they're having a lot of pleasure from something that should be on the surface painful. Um, but it looks very sensual. Yeah. It's all, that's why it's just always to me about sex. It's just all about sex usually. Um, and, you know, with the last boys, what's interesting about that is Joel Schumacher, who, who is a gay man and made this movie. Um, and I don't know if he was out at the time that he made this movie, um, but that is an interesting thing. But, but with that, you do have this seduction of Jason Patrick's character, Michael, who is being seduced by Kiefer Sutherland's character, David. I mean, it just really is seduction. That's what it's about. Um, and then he also has this other thing on the side with Jamie Gertz's character, Star, and so it's almost like this thing of trying to decide which side to go to in a way. Um, you could read it as that, definitely. Um, Interview with the Vampire, I think, is as far as with without actually explicitly necessarily saying it. Um, unlike movies like The Hunger, The Hunger is very much that, which I actually have never seen The Hunger. But The Hunger is a movie that is about... Um, 
it's about it's it's a lesbian love story, but it's also a love triangle between um, David Bowie's character, Catherine Deneuve's character, and Susan Sarandon's character. Um, and that's that's another one. It's it's more explicit, um, but definitely an interview with a vampire. I mean, that's the whole thing in that movie. The whole premise, um, yeah, and you you get it throughout everything everything in that movie. Um, and as far as TV goes. I think with True Blood, it's a lot more explicit. It's not so much coded. Um, it's a lot more embraced. With Buffy, you do have Willow, who Willow may not be a vampire, but you do have that. I yeah. think you could even read that there might be some undercurrent of that between Angel and Spike in a way. You might even be able to read that. Like at some point mm-hmm. in their life, that might have been there. You might even be able to read Spike as that character. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know if this is something. No, no, no. I can see read. that. Yeah. But and I never watched Vampire Diaries. It just didn't appeal to me. Um, I, you know, most actually most of those those shows don't normally appeal to me. That was much more. That seemed more in the Twilight um, brain, which we are going to discuss later because you know we have to discuss the 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 vampire as the romantic lead. Um, so we'll definitely be discussing that too. But yeah, it's it's very prevalent. I think it's just a part of it. Um, and with that, what happened a lot, I think, in the 80s and um, an article I was reading even said that Blade was also part of this um, was the AIDS epidemic and how that kind of yeah. infiltrated a lot of vampire movies because vampires are all about blood. They drink blood. So it kind of makes sense that that would um, bleed into that, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, um, I, you know, but yeah, but. I remember. Well, I, I I read all the um, uh, the uh, Southern Vampire series books, except for the last one, um, and they talk about that within the books. And instead of in True Blood, where they talk about Hep Hep uh, no Hep B or Hep D or whatever whatever they called it in in the uh, TV show, I can't remember. In the books, they refer to it as I think it's pseudo AIDS so it's actually something that they touch on within the books and how it makes the vampires very sick doesn't necessarily kill them but it incapacitates them for a a good amount of time um so I know you know from that it is it is something that has been presented before so I mean that it that is a concern with vampires i would imagine (laughs) well and what's interesting to me about it is that you could also look at it like um with blade uh wesley snipes plays a pseudo vampire and he takes a preventative serum much like people who are hiv who were hiv positive beginning to take a cocktail so it's kind of this interesting parallel because you're dealing with blood so um but what i think is interesting about it when you look at a vampire who is going to be given eternal life so it's interesting to look at um aids instead of necessarily i mean killing you but then giving you this eternal life so it's an interesting parallel there so yeah do you have anything you want to add on that tiffany with aids and vampires i i remember actually i I read the charlene harris um, series that, that turned into True Blood. Um, and I remember that it, it was called Vampire AIDS. 
essentially. Uh, and the, the way you described it, Sarah, that it did inca incapacitate them. It made them very, very sick. Like if a vampire could be hospitalized with a severe illness, that's what vampire AIDS would do to them. So it has been explored. Um, besides that, um, I don't know if um, really if any other series or any other film has really gone into depth like Charlene Harris's series did, but the blood is always the key. Blood is the thing that will give you something, that will make something wrong with you, essentially, because not only does a vampire have to drain you, it also has to feed you blood to turn you into a vampire. Mm -hmm. So the blood is always at the forefront of what will make something wrong physically with you. And obviously when it comes to um, HIV and, and AIDS, it was always the blood, the blood, the blood. The blood mm -hmm. is the thing that's wrong, even though that it's not just blood, it's, it's bodily fluids that, you know, are in the, the nether regions of the body, not saliva, obviously, mm -hmm. but, but other fluids going yeah. on without getting too graphic. So, totally understand. I'm trying to tiptoe. I'm trying to get around it. It's in the middle. So we're trying what to I'm actually trying to say is, yeah, you got it. So, you know, but I mean, obviously, in the in the '80s with the pan, with the AIDS pandemic, it was right. all this focus, that singular focus on blood, and obviously with vampires, the singular focus is always blood. That's what they that's what they need to survive. That's what they need to thrive, essentially. So it's it's a it's a really weird dichotomy. You know, people humans are drained of blood, but vampires devour blood. So mm -hmm. we lose our ability to thrive and they get their ability to thrive. So it's a really, really odd dichotomy between the two. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really well done in a lot of different series and a lot of movies. It's really, really well done. And I, I've always liked that parallel. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, you know, blood is life. And so it's draining the life and taking the life, but getting more life and getting the nutrients from the blood. And yeah, there, you could even relate it to birth rebirth and yeah it's it's a very it's that's why i just think it's just so fascinating because there's so many different avenues and different ways you could take the vampire mm -hmm. mythology um it's one of those that can change very easily uh to fit the times to fit whatever's going on um you know like when we mentioned the vampires versus brooklyn you know you can take it to a different area you can have it mean symbolize something else um you know sucking a different kind of life force that kind of thing because that's what vampires are about um and of course you had which we'll get into the romance the romantic vampire um the vampire that doesn't want to be a vampire which of course is an interview with a vampire as well um mm -hmm. but you have that the vampires that are struggling because the other thing with vampires is they don't for years and years and years they weren't supposed to have a soul it wasn't like they had you know any guilt over what they were doing although i will argue that with dracula um dracula is obsessed with a woman but he's also kind of in love with her so you have this weird weird parallel there um and i think with dracula that's one 
place to start looking at how female sexuality is examined in vampire movies because you have this male character who is irresistible to the woman. You have, um, for instance, in Fright Night, um, you have Charlie's girlfriend is being seduced by this vampire, and it's true in the um, remake as well, who is older. Um, well, not just because they're a vampire, but they're older anyway. And you have this innocent, and they kind of have this relationship where they haven't gone to that level. They haven't had sex yet. And this other man who is more experienced um, is seducing her over two um, the dark side, maybe to even, you know, no longer be a quote unquote good girl um, and taking her away from this man who has been her boyfriend and kind of feels like he should be the first one to deflower her, really. I mean, really, if you look at it, I think that's a lot of what it says. And so it's it's this interesting thing. I think that happens a lot with women in, in vampire film and TV shows. I think it was more... Not so much present day, although you could definitely make an argument for it with Twilight. Um, but I think that that's a big thing is, is a man taking control again of a woman um, and showing her sexuality and also kind of owning her body in a way. So I just want to get a few thoughts on that um, female sexuality and vampires. What are your thoughts on that, Sarah? Um, no, that, that, that's actually a, a very interesting point. Um, I mean, like you said, with the uh, with twilight um you have yes i've read the books and i've seen all the movies feel ashamed um <laughs> they're, they're sort of a guilty pleasure um but, but like you said with that i mean you're, you're looking at edward who yeah okay yeah he's 17 um but has a lot more experience than bella and you know she's ready to take their relationship to the next level, so to speak. And he doesn't want to hurt her. Um, but then uh, there was another one. There was another one I was thinking of. All right, go on to Tiffany, because I can't remember. I had another point and I can't remember what it was. One that actually um, kind of subverted that trope is Buffy. Because instead of something being taken from the woman, she takes something from the man. She actually takes Angel's soul. And I mean, is there anything more devastating than we have sex and my partner loses his soul? <laughs> what does that say about me <laughs> as a woman? Um, so I think that that was one thing that... Um, I've always found interesting because it had to be with angels, obviously for angels to lose his soul. It had to be, um, he had to have sexual intimacy with his true love. So it was only, he could only lose it with Buffy. You know, he could have, he could have sex all the day long with other women. <laughs> and I'm, you know, and I suppose other men, although they did never, <laughs> they never explored that, but um, he could have sex, you know, from dusk till dawn and nothing would ever change. But he did that, that one time with Buffy and look what happened. And Jealous makes his uh, triumphant return of sorts. So I don't know. Um it's that that flipped the script uh definitely yeah. and yeah. i've only seen the first twilight 
um, I, after that first one, I, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't watch any more of this. This is going to rot my brain. So yeah, it, it's a lot of teenage melodrama. Yeah. I can't, I mean, sparkling va vampires. I, yeah, no, I can't, I can't. Vampires are not supposed to sparkle. <laughs> so, I mean, the only thing I guess, you know, I guess they're supposed to be soulmates um although i don't know do they have souls in twilight i don't know um so <laughs> well yeah i i don't well i mean they they touch on the whole uh not so much with the vampires but with the werewolves and printing on someone so maybe it's the same thing i have no idea yeah i always forget there are were werewolves in that too <laughs> yeah i, I, yeah, I I mean, it has been like a decade since I've actually watched that first one. So who knows if I'm even saying this right. I do remember they sparkled, though. I remember they that. Just, I thought, they do I thought it was sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vampires may brood, but they may not sparkle. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we draw the line. I draw the line. <laughs> and speaking of brooding. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's... um. It's it's an interesting thing when a vampire like uh, like you said, Aaron, about you know werewolves imprinting on somebody. When a vampire imprints on someone, because if you think about it, Spike imprinted on Buffy. I mean, he, he really, really did, and he did that even before he had his soul, before he gained his soul back. Yeah. Um, he really did imprint on her, and she was always of the opinion that there is no way you are the soulless bloodsucker that. There's no way you can actually feel these things about me. You know, you are, there's something going on. I think, and this was it obviously in season five when he first started. Um, she was, she always thought in that first three quarters of that season, there's no way he's lying about this. He's yeah. just pretending. And of course she changed her mind over the course of, of season six. And then obviously season seven. Um, so, I, I think that's another, that's just another aspect of vampire lore. Can they actually, when they don't have a soul, feel something for somebody really? Can they, can they have that depth of, of love? Can they love, essentially? Yeah, is it possible? Well, I mean, look at, uh, going back to True Blood, look at Sookie and Bill, or even Eric and Sookie. And then that whole <laughs> triangle there, I mean, it, it was more so in, in the TV show than the books. Um, I mean, the books, it was more Eric and Sookie and, and Bill was kind of a side character. And Eric uh, and Sookie were so much more interesting than Bill and Sookie. Yes. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> oh, my God. I yeah. hate Bill Compton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I don't love Stephen Moyer because I really do, but yeah, oh yeah, Eric and Sookie were so much more interesting. Yeah, and and frankly, I think um, I think the acting Stephen Moyer's acting, I'm sorry, was atrocious. So I apologize, <laughs> but it was oh my gosh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we're going to get into that when we get into the brooding vampire because oh, it's definitely he, a brooding he, vampire so and. So arrogant, and in, in a, I mean, yes, yes. Eric, Eric had some arrogance to him too, but there's a different kind of arrogance with Bill. It's more this like I'm above you, almost like Angel had a little bit of that too. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. It's this. It's yeah, and 
yeah, we're a spike head arrogance, but a different kind of arrogance. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think, um, yeah, I think what you both have said is, is, <laughs> is very accurate. And yeah, with the Buffy thing, that is very interesting because it is the tables turn and plus Buffy is such a powerful mm-hmm. character anyway. Mm-hmm. And she's such a powerful woman and, and uh, well, girl, really, when she starts, she's just a teenager, but she's just very, very, very powerful. And she has all her power. And yeah, having the power to take someone's soul without even realizing you're doing it is a pretty am- amazing thing. And that, that whole thing of, um, you know, having sex for the first time and having the guy completely change is very much a parallel to what can really happen. I mean, <laughs> that, that has comes to be into play. So that's so that's really what you know. That's why it was so interesting to watch that. Where once she has sex with this guy who is way too old for her. <laughs> this is saying, but anyway, um, you know, you have that where where it goes away. Whereas when she finally has sex with Spike that's a much more they're much more on this even playing field and that to me their their first sex scene i mean they bring down a whole house so yeah, their literally. first sex scene yeah <laughs> their first sex scene is on a totally different level because there's a lot more um there's there's no more there's no like to kind of parallel to to twilight in a weird way there's no sparkling there's no romanticism it's not really romantic in the same way it's a lot no. more erotic which is what vampire mythology really is yeah. is very yes. erotic so yep i think so, vampires yeah. are often um equated as animalistic uh they have a very animal mm-hmm. passionate quality to them so buffy and spike like you said, legitimately, literally collapsing a house I mean, during it was, their first. <laughs> it, it was much more. I, I don't. I don't know if this is the right word, but it was much more primal. Yes, primal. Mm-hmm. Great word. Great word. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Um, it. It. It was the polar opposite of what Buffy had with with Angel. Oh, it was absolutely! The, it was the yeah. polar opposite, and I think at her at the stage of her life, bringing ripped from heaven and dropped back down to mm. essentially hell on earth. Yeah. She's living on a hell mouth. Yeah. Um, that's what she needed at that time. Yeah, she needed that something to bring her out of her own headspace. She needed yeah. something to distract her from everything else going around and um, being plucked from paradise and, and plopped yep. back, back down into the reality of, yep. of, uh, of the demons on earth. Yep. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And, and you could say that too, for um, true blood with um, in, I mean, not the same stuff that, you know, she was that way they were going through, but um, the sex with Eric, as opposed to the sex with Bill Compton, there was st- it was also more primal um, and a, a lot more erotic, in my opinion. So you could you could also sort of say the same kind of thing with with True Blood, which I kind of always felt like Spike and Eric were very similar characters. Oh, they definitely. paralleled each other a lot, 
um, which I never finished True Blood. I didn't finish the last season. <laughs> Someday I will, but I, I never finished it because I kept hearing it was so horrible the last season, but someday I'll finish it. But it's interesting to me that in the books, because I didn't read the books either, that Bill is much more of a side character, whereas in the TV yeah. show, he's not really like that. Um, no. Which is it's kind of, I would have much rather seen um, that in the TV show than what we got in the TV show. So, yeah. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the brooding vampire. So, you know, Bill and Angel and Luis in uh, Interview with a Vampire, and there are a ton a ton more. I think the brooding vampire is a trope all in itself. Oh, my God, yes. So, so we'll talk about that in just a minute when we come back. So we're going to turn our attention to the brooding vampire, which some examples are, of course, Angel, Bill Compton from True Blood. Um, you could even uh, make the argument that in Twilight, which I'm, Edward is kind of a brooding vampire in a yeah, way, too. Yeah. Um, with the brooding vampire, what that, that is is basically it's a vampire that is doesn't want to be a vampire. So they're brooding about their existence. It's almost like a vampire with a soul, a vampire with a conscience, a vampire who doesn't want to kill. Um, and a lot of times you'll see that they don't actually kill like with angel angel would drink um, blood from blood banks and that kind of thing. So you have that with, with true blood, they have true blood that they drink. So you have that kind of stuff. Um, you have a lot of interview with a vampire um, where Luis is just very much like, I don't want to be a vampire. His whole thing is brooding about being a vampire and regretting becoming a vampire and dealing with that. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what are your thoughts on the brooding vampire? And do you like the brooding vampire, Sarah? Um, I, I'm a little torn on the brooding vampire. I, 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 I get it. Um, you know, especially like the examples you've given, like Angel, Louis, um, uh, even Blade to an extent, um, Edward. Um, I mean, these, these are all characters that have been turned and have been turned into vampires sort of against their will. Um, and they're not happy about it. Um, so I, I, you know, I can understand that. Um, not sure I'd be too happy about it either. Um, but, um, you know, it, it does seem to be a very common, like, like you said, a very common trope, um, throughout vampire TV shows, movies, books, that there is that vampire who is not happy with who he or she is. Um, you know, I, um, Angel was definitely brooding. Oh God, so much brooding with Angel. So much brooding. Um, Louis, I, I, I don't know if I would say as much brooding with him. Um, he was definitely not happy about his situation. <laughs> not necessarily the best term, um, but he was not necessarily happy with being a vampire, but I don't think there was as much brooding. Um, definitely Bill, there was brooding. Um, even Blade, there was brooding to an extent, but he was also trying to use, because he, he was half vampire, half human, 
what they called him was the daywalker. So he was trying to use that to, uh, you know, help uh, eliminate the world of vampires. Um, you know, I, I actually do kind of like that because there is that struggle, that morality struggle, like what I, I know what I am, but what I am is wrong and I'm trying to make the best of it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. And Tiffany, your thoughts on the brooding vampire? Uh, well, we all know that Angel is the the king of the brood. Oh <laughs> so much broodiness. Although, oh. you know what? When he gets to when he moves from Buffy over and you know, and they, and he gets his own show in Angel, that first season, yes, it's ultimate broodiness. Um, almost even more so than he was on Buffy. But season two, it's like he finds his mission. And he understands his mission finally. Um, whereas I don't know if he actually had that understanding of what he was supposed to be doing before. But once he finds that mission, his attitude slightly changes. He's not as broody. I, I don't see him as as a brooder, uh, air quotes, um, as much anymore. He has his moments. Yeah. You know? I, I think everybody has their moments of, um, of uh, down in the dumps type. Uh, personality but uh, I think there's a difference I think there's a subtle shift uh, when he gets to season two of Angel um, Bill Compton was insufferable I mean legitimately insufferable I just uh, <laughs> one I'm, of my I'm trying least... to laugh quietly here but you're <laughs> totally correct <laughs> one of my least favorite characters ever in a show <laughs> just Oh gosh, I, I'm like I'd rather see a vampire just be almost sad than brooding. Like give me give me some sadness, give me some depth, uh, <laughs> give me a different note except for brooding uh, and mopiness all the time. Uh, which is what even when Bill was supposedly happy with Sookie, he was still mopey. It was <laughs> just. Just, I, I just need some differential in there. I just need some differences. Um, I think, you know what? <laughs> and I'm thinking back to um, season six of Buffy when she, you know, breaks it off with Spike and he tries to brood and it just doesn't oh, yeah. work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Spike does not brood very well. Spike does not brood. Spike no. is not a brooder. Spike has I appreciate his effort, but no. <laughs> Spike has too much swagger to be a brewer. Yeah. And I think, you know, he and and Eric from True Blood are alike in that. They they know how to, or they have this just inherent ability to be um to be like to take up a lot of energy and to take up a lot of space. And that doesn't lend itself to because they're not trying to shrink themselves, that doesn't lend itself to brewing. So it's it's interesting when you see the flip side of the brooding vampire, when you see the, the swagged out <laughs> vampire. And with Louis from Interview with the Vampire, I think because he was so sad because of his family, you know, losing his yeah. family, um, I think he had a legitimate cause to be how he was even as a vampire. He might have thought he wanted to be a vampire, or didn't, I shouldn't say wanted to be a vampire, but didn't care 
about what happened to him when a vampire bit him. Um, but I think he was just, he had this overwhelming sadness and depression from, from losing his family to, uh, what was it? Cholera? Uh, some type of plague. Cholera. Yeah. Probably yeah. cholera. Um, yeah. from, from his wife and, and child dying, uh, that that just carried over. He was just, he was always, he was always going to be sad. And then he found slight happiness with, um, with, uh, Kirsten Dunst's character once he, uh, turned her, which is really, mm-hmm. uh, so really I don't like that part. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, she's like, yeah. Yeah. I, know, yeah. I don't like that part at all. <laughs> It's a little, it's a little icky. Yeah. So, <laughs> a little so, icky? It's yeah. really icky. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Very much so. So I think their personality kind of carries over um, from where they were when they are turned. I think that personality kind of slides through. Although it's funny because Angel and Spike were the opposite. Yeah. Of how they were. Spike was just, you know, writing bad poetry, very like introverted kind of guy. And then, oh my God, the poetry, I forgot about that. Such bad poetry. And then when he becomes a vampire, here he is, you know, he's William the Bloody and he's swagged out and walking around and just strutting around in this long leather coat. And (laughs) he's just, you know, he's got like a lot of personality. And then with Angel, he was this carouser. He was a drunk. He was uh, out all hours of the night, everything. And Liam, that was Angel. Angel was Liam. And uh, when he became Angelus, it was just the Prince of Darkness almost. So um, it's, uh, and then, you know, obviously when he got his soul, then he goes to Mr. McMopison. So it's just interesting to me. <laughs> well, I think there there there's kind of a difference between brooding and being depressed. Um, and I apologize, I keep saying Louis's name wrong, so I apologize. Um, but anyway, but um I think there is a difference because like when Spike gets his soul, he has a period of deep depression when he gets his soul and a period of being lost and not yeah. being quite spike but it was very it's very different than angel because i think behind that brooding there's also this um sort of holier than thou attitude behind it especially with bill compton i think oh bill, God, Com- yes. bill compton trumps every every other vampire in the brooding department because he's an he's an egotistical ass, frankly. Um, he thinks he's above everybody. He wants yeah. to control everyone. He wants to have all the power, um, and he's brooding the whole time. And it's he's just so insufferable, and he's just so obnoxious and annoying. And you just want him to die, frankly. <laughs> Whereas Angel, um, Angel drove me nuts. I will admit when when I first watched Buffy, and I said this on our Buffy episode, and we're going to revisit Buffy again next year, but. Um, on that episode, I did say that I did like Angel when the show first started. I actually was an Angel and Buffy shipper that quickly went away when Spike came along because I think Angel and Spike are so much better. It's a totally different thing. Um, and plus, Spike just became my absolute favorite character on the show. Um, but for a while there, I liked Angel because 
I don't know, it seems kind of romantic to me in this way, even though it is kind of disturbing that this guy is basically stalking this young teenager. (laughs) I mean, that's basically what's happening. And he's, you know, hundreds of years old. So it's very disturbing in that way, which we'll talk about a lot more with Twilight. But, um, but yeah, the brooding vampire, uh, it's just, it's okay. At first it was okay, but I think it gets kind of old because I don't know. I, I think it's one thing to be depressed and to be sad. And I can see that with Louis, that that's a little bit different. Um, although I just think Louis in the movie, at least is just kind of boring. He's kind of bland and I kind of just don't care about his depression towards the end of the movie. I'm just like, I'm like Lestat. I'm like, Oh my gosh, don't want to listen to this again. Kind of thing. Um, with that, but, um, I think with the brooding vampire, it's just kind of got boring and old and, it kind of drained a lot of the sexuality in a way from the vampire, a lot of the mystique, a lot of the terror, a lot of the fear, um, a lot of, you know, you should not necessarily be desiring a vampire as far as like wanting to coddle them and, and make them feel better or, you know, get, get them help or anything like that. A vampire should be more powerful and a vampire is something that you should fear. And it's interesting that mention of blade because I never really thought of Blade as brooding. I thought of Blade as more, um, he kind of took this curse, really. He felt like he was cursed. He's trying to fight against becoming a vampire. Um, and he also is avenging what happened to his mom. And he's he's a superhero, really. And that's what the character is. And the character yep. is just trying to fight vampires. So to me, it was a little bit different because even though he had his moments of feeling depressed, um, it never felt like it was interfering with who he was in a way. It was kind of just this backdrop um, where he had some self-loathing, that kind of stuff, but he was much more this person that was going to try try and avenge things and try to take down other vampires. So, but but it's an interesting comparison because I I didn't see that. And then before we move in to um, True Blood, to um, Twilight, I want to just say, and I can't believe I didn't do this because when Tiffany was mentioning From Dust Till Dawn, as everyone knows who's listening to this podcast, I am a George Clooney person. I am the biggest George Clooney fan, I think, of anybody that's ever been on this podcast. I had no idea. And I was going and I was going nuts in the background when Tiffany was talking about From Dust Till Dawn. There was because, a lot of hand breathing. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't mention it. There really was. And I've been sitting here going, I've got to bring that around because I just want to mention that really quickly, how much I love that movie and how much I love George Clooney in that movie. And we used to have on when I was um, my roommate and I, we had we used to do movie quotes on our answering machine. Yes, an answering machine. And we had a quote from interview um, from from Dust Till Dawn, where um, at the end, when his character says, you know, I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard when he says that, you know, at the end. Um, and we kind of had an abbreviation a little bit of a switch on that but I just wanted to say that and then also his tattoo his neck tattoo was oh my god that thing and then it went down to his arm and that was one of the sexiest things I've ever seen and I know it's not real but it's still sexy so 
I had to just geek out about that for a minute because I'm like, I can't believe I didn't geek out about that. I think it's because I was geeking out on camera and no one could see that or hear it. So I just went, oh, I already did that. So I had to <laughs> throw that in there because I'm sure everybody would be like, why didn't she mention <laughs> Death Still Dawn? And I never okay, saw this. We still love you. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw the sequels, though. And I actually. Yeah, I I've seen only ever seen the first one. So yeah, the first one is the only one that counts. Yeah, that's <laughs> really all and, you need to. Yeah. And I had, um, because my roommate worked in a movie theater and I worked in a um, video store and she had the cutout for from dusk till dawn with George Clooney with the gun and he's pointing the gun and I had that in my bedroom pointing at me (laughs) this time so yeah so because you know someday someday I'll just do a George Clooney episode and maybe it'll just be me talking about George Clooney but Anyway, I'm sorry. I just had to do that little tangent there because I've been wanting to get that out for a while now. Um, (laughs) So totally different direction here. But let's get into um, Twilight a little bit and the romantic vampire. Um, The reason I want to touch on this is because Twilight also, of course, inspired um because of a fanfic the 50 shades of gray series and the only reason i am putting this in there is because i think both are can be very harmful um especially 50 shades of gray but i think with twilight the harm in there is you have this guy who it's ba- it is the stalking for love trope and you have this vampire who just shows up in bella's room um, stalks her is sparkling also, which is also just a bad thing in general. Um, and I just think it's kind of an unhealthy thing. Um, I will admit when I first saw Twilight, I was like, this is trash, pure trash. I don't like it. But at the same time, there was a part of me that kind of enjoyed it, even though I recognized it as pure trash. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit about Twilight. I know we've already mentioned it a little bit, but about that trope of having the vampire, you know, being the stalking for love, which Angel did a little bit in Buffy as well. But uh, what are your thoughts on um, Edward, basically the character of Edward and Twilight, Sarah? Um, you know, I actually, I, I, I did read all the Twilight books um, and saw the movies. And I did read all the Fifty Shades of Grey books and saw the movies. Um, And I can see how they are harmful. Absolutely. I can definitely see that. Um, You know, I think the difference between the two, um, Twilight being more geared towards young adults, teenagers, um, not understanding how relationships work and some creepy guy sneaking into your bedroom in the middle of the night is not normal um, and is not romantic and is a little terrifying. Um, of course, even with Fifty Shades of Grey, kind of the same thing. Um, it, it, it's it's concerning. Um you know, when when I read them, I had younger children, and I have boys, um, so I wasn't, you know, I was reading them just for fun, um, but as I've gotten older, and my kids have gotten older, I'm like, mm, 
I can see where this is problematic. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it is, you know, for, for people that do understand that this is purely fantasy, this is not real life. I'm just reading this, watching this for enjoyment. I think it's okay. But for those that are reading, watching, thinking this is how relationships are, I think it can be a little damaging. Um, you know, so I, I, I have sort of mixed feelings about it, I, I, I guess I would say. And Tiffany? Uh, the thing I guess I'm... I have the biggest questions about, for, especially for something like Twilight, and to a certain extent for something like Buffy, is can a somebody like Edward and somebody like Angel or some vampires like them, are they able to, to turn that attraction off? I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, because Edward, if I'm remembering that movie correctly, when Bella walks in, doesn't he smell her? Like he, he smells her, her yeah, blood, he you know? And it's like, he's almost, he he's, it's like an animal. Like he cannot turn it off. He has to be near her. Yep. Um, and in a different way, Angel has to be near Buffy. Um, so he's, he's physically drawn to her. So can they, can they turn that off? Are they able to, um, overpower those feelings that physiological response that they have are they able to turn that off it's and almost, that's what i i don't know it's almost know? animalistic yes yeah. very much so very much so they have a one track mind yeah when it comes to them and yeah. yes it, like that's you said true. Aaron, it is it's tropey mctroperston it's um <laughs> it's trope to the nth degree <laughs> it's um it's I the biggest of that <laughs> It's the biggest of tropes, you know, those, yeah. uh, the, the stalking for love, uh, that, that qualification for a vampire, um, it, it's, it's written uh, and it's not necessarily vampiric lore. They don't always, they stalk for food. They don't stalk for love. They don't stalk for, um, although I think obsession can be a part of it. It's not necessarily yes. love, but it definitely is the obsession component because Angel becomes obsessed with, when he turns back into Angelus, when he loses his soul that first time on Buffy, he becomes obsessed with he's hurting obsessed her. her. Yeah. Yeah, he's obsessed with her and he's obsessed yes. with hurting her and the people that are around her, which mm -hmm. leads to him, you know, murdering Miss Calendar, you know, in order to hurt Giles, in order to hurt Buffy. Um, so there's that, I think there's yep. an obsessed quality, but is it necessarily love and the, in for Edward, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because it seems like there is a, an actual physical visceral response to Bella when he first is near her, he smells her, which is weird. <laughs> which is so weird, <laughs> but he smells her and it's like, he cannot turn it off. He can think, absolutely cannot turn it off. But I think that also plays, I mean, in, in reading the books, um, that also plays upon with Jacob and, and the werewolves imprinting on someone. 
whereas Jacob ends up imprinting on Bella and Edward's daughter, who has a horrible name. <laughs> we won't even discuss that. Um, so I wonder if it's almost the same thing where he is imprinting on her. And I mean, I, I think I think he actually does love her. Um, and in, in that series, I think they still do have souls and, and can feel love and compassion towards other people. But, you know, is, is it, I, I, I don't know at that point, I don't know what it is. Is it, is it really love or is he just imprinting on her? If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. No, I, I think a lot of it is uh, control and power and possession. Um, I think that's what a lot of it is. I think that's true of a lot of vampire mythology anyway. But I think yeah. with Twilight and with Angel even, um, it's taking it to another degree. Because you see that with Dracula. That's It's very true with Dracula. Right. Even. Yeah. It's very much about It's very much about possession and taking control and this woman is mine and I'm going to control her and have her as yeah. mine and have her yeah. be mine. And with twilight, um, with that sparking the 50 shades of gray or spawning that, you know, inspiring that, um, 50 shades of gray is a very, 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 very dangerous concept, honestly, because it's really not accurate to at all to what, um, BDSM is it's not accurate to a really consensual relationship in that it's it's very much another stalking um, thing and we'll talk about this a lot when we talk about BDSM portrayals in media next year but it's it's very it's more of a story about obsession and if you really had a guy um, like Edward um, in your life or like I can't Thank you. I couldn't remember his name there. Or like Christian Sorry. in your life. If you had one of them in your life, um, you would definitely want to call the police. You would not want to have them around because that person is dangerous. Um, especially with the, like you were saying, Tiffany, with Edward being able to smell Bella. There's this yes. weird, weird, weird possession thing with that. It's this thing of, you know, even though it's animalistic, there's another side to it where it is this... Um, control like i we've mentioned on a few episodes now with horror that women often can be seen as an object or something you want to control and i don't necessarily think of twilight as a horror movie but it's the same kind of thing where bella is edwards edward is like this is my possession she's mine i smell her she is mine she is who i'm going to conquer i'm going to make her mine even though i'm going to brood the whole time i'm doing it I, she's still going to be mine i'm going to seduce her and then you have on the other side you have jacob who's this werewolf who even though i, I think that whole plot line is kind of ridiculous in a way He's a little bit better for her in the fact that he's not possessive. He's mm. 
just a, a guy who wants to have a relationship with her. But what's so dangerous about about that trope and seeing it um, with a movie that's geared towards teenagers and preteens yeah. is the fact that it's showing that the one that you should choose is someone who's going to stalk you, someone who can smell you, who basically is like, I'm going to own you and I'm going to possess you and you're going to be mine. And that's really dangerous frankly and i'm not trying to say i'm not trying to poo poo the whole twilight series because i know people enjoy them and that's that's fine i'm just saying that i think there is some harm in that um because really it's it's really disturbing to me that this boy shows up in her room and that isn't instantly like a red flag like get i need to get oh, the hell that's so romantic yeah yeah and yeah. And it's used all the time. I mean, we talked about that when we talked about the show You. It's used constantly. It's a big trope. Um, so, you know, you can see it. But I just, I, just, I just find it personally a little bit disturbing. And I find it more disturbing in Fifty Shades of Grey for a lot of reasons. Because that one is so inaccurate to something that is a real thing in real life. I mean, vampires aren't real. At least I don't believe in vampires. I don't know. Maybe maybe Sarah and Tiffany believe in vampires. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I think mean, so. There are those weird people who, you know, they like to drink blood. But yeah, no, not not in the Dracula not in the real sense. sense. Not in the immortal. Right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but but you know, BDSM is a real thing, and people yeah, it have consensual relationships within that community it's a real thing and very often media gets it completely wrong and with 50 shades of gray it's beyond completely wrong i mean he basically he you could accuse him of coming close to raping her in that movie and in the storyline almost because you know i mean it's just and their whole contract negotiations that kind of stuff and you know, he, he does all this stuff that's very, very, very unhealthy. And it was inspired all by the Edward character. And it is similar yeah. to the Edward character. It is. You know, yeah. in a lot of ways. So, and I know that Robert Pattinson, you know, despises that series. <laughs> I will say that. And I, he's and I'm come a long way since then. <laughs> well, he's actually a really good actor. That's the thing. He's, yeah. he's actually a really, really talented that's actor. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he always has been. He just happened to get um, sucked into that, no pun intended, there. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, 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 Jamie uh, uh, Dornan, Dorian, whoever, who, uh, I can't think of his name, that plays Christian Grey, kind of yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Okay, well, we are a going to be wrapping up because that's about all I had on our little outline there. I'm going to probably Aww. add that down a little bit. Um, but before we do, I just want to see really quickly if there are any other things about vampires or any other characters that you want to give a quick shout out to that we didn't get to, Sarah? Um, No, I think we've covered everything. For okay. me, anyway. Okay. Tiffany, did you have any that you wanted to give a quick mention to or anything? Um, I, You know what? I... I we focus a lot of our attention on male vampires, but I don't think that we spent enough time talking about the, the women That's vampires. Like I'm thinking about specifically, I'm thinking about Drusilla from Buffy. 
Um, oh yeah. And um, she is she's an interesting case because yeah. you get somebody who was very anxious, very anxiety riddled as a human, and then once again stalking to obsession. Angel stalks her, drives her insane, and then turns Literally, her. Yeah. And then she's insane as a vampire. Um, so her, and she's very ill. She's very ill, which is an interesting thing for a vampire. She's very, if you recall, when she comes to Sunnydale, um, she's very, when Spike brings her, she's very ill. She's yeah. very delicate. She's as yep. close to a true vampire death as you can get without actually going to, you know, exploding into dust. Um, so when she gets her strength back and gets her powers back, um, she's one of the most powerful vampires that I think that we've seen. She's because she, yeah, yeah, because she's able to, she's almost able to, um, she's manip- able to manipulate through the mind, which yeah. I don't think I have seen before. It's one thing to like Dracula to hypnotize, um, and to mesmerize, but Drusilla is actually able to somewhat manipulate the mind. Which is um, almost like a superpower, which is very scary for a vampire to and have. That's when, that's how she ends up killing uh, uh, the Kendra. Kendra? Kendra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's able to do that with Kendra. You know, with an yeah. actual Slayer, that's um, yep. that's something else. That's yeah. that's like on another level. Um, and then probably uh, you get the silly vampire. Like um, I don't know if you all remember when Harmony got turned. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> She was, you know, she Harmony was, was quite comical. <laughs> she was flighty and ditzy as a human, and yes. she was flighty and ditzy as a vampire. <laughs> Although I did, I did kind of like Harmony as a vampire. I did kind of like her too. I did. She <laughs> straight <laughs> comedic relief. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was. She was. She was very naive and and almost innocent. In a way, yes. <laughs> being a vampire, yes. she didn't quite understand what was going on. But, <laughs> of course, when she wasn't a vampire, I don't think she quite understood what was going on either. Yeah. But I, I actually kind of liked Harmony as a vampire. I liked Harmony as a vampire um, more than uh, than I liked um then I liked her as a human. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then I agree. Not, how can we not talk about Angel's or Angelus's sire, Darla? I mean, oh yeah, oh, oh my goodness, I love Julie Benz. There, yeah, <laughs> Julie Benz is such a great actor, and um, her the whole interaction between Angelus and Darla is. Uh, you talk about obsession with each other throughout yes. the centuries. I mean, because Darla is old. Darla is, yes. she is an old, old vampire. She's like, I think when we, when she gets to Sunnydale, she is about probably what, five centuries or so. I think so about she, that, yeah. Yeah, so she's an ancient vampire. Yeah. And um, her hold over Angelus is still pretty powerful. Yep. Um, you know, obviously when he's angel not you know definitely not as much <laughs> since yeah. he has you know that pesky business of a soul but um, <laughs> but I think there's some really the you know, soul thing yeah the soul thing there's some really interesting um women characters that are uh that are vampires as well 
uh, even though the men get a lot of shine, uh, I think the yeah. women the women can hold their own as vamps. So, Owen um, Willow was a vampire in the oh, alternate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in the yeah. Alternate. About that. yeah. That oh, good. yes. <laughs> really good. So, and she wanted to play with Puppy. Yeah, let me play with Puppy, please. <laughs> <laughs> and Xander. Xander was a vampire, too. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's right. They I forgot with, all about that. Yeah, they played really good vampires. Yes. They they did a really, really good job. I think they were having a lot of fun with that episode. Yeah. Well, I, I love Allison Hannigan, so. <laughs> so, so <good. laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad you said that, Tiffany, because, yeah, we didn't really yeah, talk true. at all yeah. about women and the fem- female vampires because there are a lot of them in there, but yeah, I think the focus a lot of times is on, is on the male. Um, yeah. And I don't know if everybody, if anybody ever saw um, the sequel to Fright Night, Fright Night part two. And that one is um, very much, you, you have the sister um, of the vampire from Fright Night. Um, and you have the sister is trying to seduce Charlie. So Charlie mm-hmm. is back. And so that one is very much kind of flipped where you have the female vampire doing some seducing, that kind of thing. But no, I'm, I'm glad we brought up some, some women. Yeah, that was, that was my oversight. We should have, we should have delved a little bit more into women and as vampires, not yeah. just female sexuality. Um, but yeah, so thanks Tiffany for bringing that up. Um, the only other thing I'm going to mention really quickly, I don't know if everybody, anybody else watched this show. It only was on for one season. Um, although it says two seasons on this thing I'm looking at, but so maybe it was two seasons, but I thought it was one. Um, is, uh, the show Blood Ties, which was basically like a, um, <laughs> it was, it was a love story. It was based on some books and it was about, uh, Vicky, uh, Nelson, who is a a former Toronto police officer, and she teams up with a 470-year-old vampire, Henry Fitzroy, Um, and she also has this relationship with her former partner, Mike, and so it's this love triangle thing. Ah. so I don't know if anyone ever watched that, but I was really into it. it's It's not really a good show or anything. It was, it's really, really lifetime. Gotcha. But I just wanted to quickly mention that one. Were there cheerleaders involved? Cheerleaders? Yeah. I mean, it's Lifetime, so. No. <laughs> oh, <I'm> like, <laughs> kidding, kidding. <laughs> like, what? So sorry. No, that's okay. I just, I just threw me there for a minute. I'm but... going to go now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and close out then, and I'll have everyone say where they can be found if they want to be found. Sarah? Um, I am, uh, Sarah Barnick. You can find me on Facebook at, uh, Sarah Vaccaro Barnick, um, or on Twitter at Nate Cam Mom, which is N-A-T-E-C-A-M-M-O-M. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And Tiffany? Uh, you can find me on Twitter mainly, and that is at who is Tip is me. It's more, that's at who is Tip is me. I'm usually talking about something having to do with the show that I've watched or a movie that I've watched. So come and chat it up with me. And then I also write for the Game of Nerds and we're always looking for more writers. And you can find the Game of Nerds on all platforms, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. So reach out. 
<laughs> awesome. And we'll link to Game of Nerds as well, like we usually do in the show notes when Tiffany's on. Okay, and this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any vampires you want to give a shout out to that we missed or anything else you'd like to mention um, for the rest of our horror month, feel free to email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And next week, we are going to be entering our final week of horror celebration with a discussion about um, the paranormal. So we're going to do an episode just discussing our own personal paranormal experiences, and then we're going to discuss paranormal films. So I'm really, really looking forward to that one. So that one should be a lot of fun. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. With the blood ties one, um, the Henry character is happens to be the illegitimate son of Henry the Eighth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs>